0: What's it going to take to bring manufacturing jobs back to the U.S.? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. One of the most controversial issues in American politics today is the state of U.S. manufacturing. The latest statistics indicate that it's stronger than it has been for years. Yet we can't ignore the millions of jobs that have migrated to cheaper offshore locations over the last few decades. How they got there and what it will take to get them back, indeed, whether we can get them back at all, is the subject of much argument. Today, we'll hear the case for reshoring from, suitably, the Reshoring Initiative, of which Harry Moser is president. He returns to the podcast to make the case for creating an economic environment that will motivate manufacturers to build new plants in the U.S. According to the Reshoring Initiative, between 3 and 5 million manufacturing jobs have been lost to trade and offshoring since 1979. Moser vigorously disputes the claim by some that the bulk of those lost jobs are the result of automation, not reshoring. He talks about a new initiative to return one million jobs to the U.S. in a relatively short span of time, mostly by making a strong business case to manufacturers. And he assesses the political realities of luring back even more of those jobs. So here is my conversation with Harry Moser. Gary Moser, welcome back to the program.
1: Great to be here, Bob.
0: We last spoke almost two years ago. What has happened and what has changed since that time in the world of reshoring?
1: I'll give you some overview. Back 10 or 15 years ago, say around 2000, 2003, the U.S. was net losing over 200,000 manufacturing jobs a year. To offshoring, not to automation, not to recession, not to anything else, just plain old to offshoring. So losing over 200,000 more than we were bringing back. And in 2016, for the first time, we brought back more than we lost. So we brought back a net maybe 20 or 30,000. So we've had a swing over that 15 year period of about 250,000 manufacturing jobs per year.
0: So, I, I've heard you say that the total amount of lost jobs due to offshoring is somewhere in the neighborhood of four million. Over how, is that true? And if so, over how long a period of time?
1: Uh, we calculate that based on the trade deficit. The trade deficit is about five hundred billion dollars per year, and the U.S. first went negative on trade about nineteen seventy nine so strictly speaking that that 3 to 4 million manufacturing jobs is built up in 40 years but of it perhaps 75% accumulated just since about 2000
0: and indeed, just about every statistic that I've seen has shown that uh, U.S. manufacturing right now is in pretty good shape. It's grown, according to one study, 11% since the dot com bust. So I think we can agree that it's getting healthier. And is that your perception as well?
1: Let's say the survivors are healthy.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: okay. The, the, the departed don't get to vote, so to speak. So if, if it's grown 11% since the dot, if you merely mean the dot com bust, which was in 2000? 2000.
0: 2000, 2003, then that three-year period, okay. say.
1: So you've got 11% spread out over 15 years, which is less than 1% annual growth.
0: I'd mm. say okay. that, well,
1: that, that sounds pretty weak to me. Well, there's, uh, a, there's
0: a glass half-empty uh, way of yeah. looking at
1: it. <laughs> so that's half-empty. And yeah. from, what, I, from what, what I've checked into the statistics, we have not yet gotten quite back to the peak that we reached in 2007 prior to the great recession. Now we're just around that number but not quite there. So so from from several perspectives it all depends are you are you happy to have the US economy be 70% consumption and only, you know, t- 10% or 12% whatever that is whatever it is manufacturing and you, you know to me the answer has to be no in the long run because you c- cannot live with a 500 billion dollar trade deficit that over 30, 40 years has accumulated enough dollars offshore that could today buy, I I did it recently, 60% of the New York Stock Exchange or 60% of the S&P 500. I mean, just in effect, if everybody else cashed in their chips, they could take a big chunk of all the assets in the country. You can't just keep having that accumulate and accumulate forever.
0: Okay, well, here's something that's happened since you and I last spoke, the creation of an initiative called Return One Million Jobs, in which you, the reshoring Initiative, has played a key role. Tell me about that initiative and uh, looking like you're raising $20 million. Uh, For what purpose and and what's this uh, initiative all about?
1: Okay, first to explain, we're cooperating with that group. We're not Part of the group, they're two, two separate entities. The initiative or the ROMJ Return One Million Jobs has committed to raising 20 million, and like any big fundraising, you you don't have it till you get it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they're doing crowdfunding. They're looking for major donations from those who have the assets to do that. Some of it will be donations. Some of it could be investments. It it may be that what is needed might be to recreate some of the supply chain in the U.S. that has been lost to fill in some of the ecosystem gaps. So there's product categories now that you just can't get here in the United States. Small, high-volume microprocessors to go into consumer electronics, certain large castings, various things that that are just very hard or or almost impossible to find here. And so it's possible that we'll uh, recreate some of that ecosystem. There's also a a shortage of broadly competent contract manufacturers. In the U.S., we have still a fair number of machine shops, foundries, electronics makers, what have you, but we don't have many people that you can go to and say, here's a concept for a refrigerator, finish the design, source all the components, build it, and sh- start shipping them to us in a year or two years or something like that. So, so, And yet the U.S. companies have found contract manufacturers like that in China and when they bring the work back, they're going to—they're not going to want to start their own factories. They're going to want to find U.S. competence similar to what the Chinese have developed.
0: Well, I also understand that at least part of the money is going to be used for data analytics. What's that all about? Is that yeah, in order that, to that, make the case for reshoring? Exactly what?
1: That's the idea, to make the case on an individual basis. So the idea is to encourage companies to participate, to share whatever they're willing to share in terms of their data data, how they perceive the U.S. cost to be, how they perceive the offshore cost, the advantages, disadvantages of both, and then using something like IBM's Watson to sort through all the data from those companies, all the data that's publicly available, and be able to tell the companies, yeah, of your thousand products that you're bringing in from offshore, Knowing all the data you've given us, knowing everything else we can figure out, using the Reshoring Initiative's total cost of ownership estimator, we conclude that these 25% of those products today make sense to bring back and either do in-house or, or outsource. And, and here are some likely locations in the U.S. where the labor costs, the energy costs, the material costs are consistent with being more profitably done here than imported from there.
0: So this initiative is underway. Uh, they haven't got the $20 million in pocket yet. Should, should haven't gotten
1: it. Right? And putting together all those capabilities, like the data analytics, will start when they get the money. <laughs> you know, the chicken and the egg thing. So we know the time is right. Everybody agrees Chinese wages have gone up a lot. Companies are starting to recognize the need to bring things back. President Trump adds a certain momentum to the subject. And so all things considered, it's clearly the right time in the last 40 years to do this, but the group has to find the money. If they don't find the money, then you'll be calling me, and we won't be talking about that. We'll be talking about the reshoring initiative.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and it's very pointedly called Return 1 Million Jobs. Is that the reshoring initiative's estimate as to the potential for jobs coming back to the, U- good manufacturing jobs coming back to the U.S.? is About a million, do you think?
1: Based on our Total cost of ownership user data, that's our our free software people use online to make the analysis, based on analysis of their data, about 25% of what is offshore would come back if people did the math properly, if they sharpened their pencil, did the math, looked at all the costs and risks that are associated with offshore and they've been ignoring. So we've targeted, of the 4 million, the 25%, which is 1 million that with proper data, proper analytics, proper insight, the companies will see make sense to come back. The other 3 million manufacturing jobs, the other 75%, require a change in our competitiveness. We require the dollar to be lower, the uh, skilled workforce to be better, lower corporate tax rates, less regulations, all the things you hear discussed in the media, and that some of which President Trump has talked about doing and so far, none of which has actually been accomplished.
0: Now, you are quite clear in in saying that automation is not the primary reason for lost American manufacturing jobs, although, as you know, others argue the opposite. They say that the preponderance of the lost jobs are, in fact, the result of automation and not reshoring. How do you make your case? How do you know that reshoring is the culprit here?
1: Certainly, it depends over what time period you take this. If you say from Uh, 1776 to today, then then clearly, you know, automation is 50 times what it was before. And clearly, you'd have to say automation. But if you take the last 10, 20, 30 years, then clearly it's offshoring. It's very simple. And most analysts come out on our side that it's in total three to 4 million jobs sitting offshore, maybe lost five or six. But as U.S. productivity has increased, that number has shrunk to three or four measured at current levels of productivity. And the direct way to do it is always the best way. The trade deficit is $500 billion per year in goods, excluding petroleum. The average sales per employee of manufacturing companies is $179,000. You divide the two together, you get about 3 million manufacturing jobs. And then you say, huh, do you think we're paying the same per product offshore as we would here? No, we're paying less, otherwise nobody would offshore. So there has to be a, something like a 20 25% price gap, and therefore the 3 million or so jobs that you get at U.S. productivity levels uh, and price levels has to be on the order of 4 million jobs at the price actually paid from China, India, Mexico, and other lower-cost places. The error that most other groups have made, most specifically those who start with a productivity analysis, they say, well, we've lost so many jobs. And assuming that the productivity has been what the government says it's been, of the jobs of the 5 million jobs we've lost, 4 million were due to productivity. And therefore, we must only have lost 1 million due to offshoring. And that's like saying, that everything going past before have been ants. And yeah, that even though that looks like an elephant, that's got to be an ant because we, today we've only seen ants go past. I mean, the, the 500 billion trade deficit is just immutable. It's sitting there right in front of you. It's always better to calculate something directly and find out what it is rather than to back into it by calculating something else. So there's a lot of agreement that the productivity numbers that the country uses are flawed, both because it overstates the importance of electronics like the Moore's Law of microprocessors improving their productivity, and also it has overstated productivity by the method of the calculation of value added. So as companies offshored more, the purchase price for the components was lower than their U.S. purchase price or production cost, and therefore the value added increased, difference between your cost to your Purchase materials and your selling price, and it looked as if U.S. productivity was rising rapidly, and really it wasn't rising so so
0: rapidly. And yet, automation is a reality, and I'm sure we can agree that the jobs coming back to this country are not going to look very much like the jobs that left in terms of what's, how many people are in the factory, the jobs they're doing, and how much they're getting paid, right? First, they'll
1: get paid more because there'll be higher skilled jobs more automation, more rocket scientists, more robot uh, engineers. Second, as I mentioned before, the four million jobs that are offshore now are measured at current levels of U.S. productivity because it's $179,000 per year per employee. They're not not measured at the productivity level of the jobs when they were lost offshore. That might have been five million or six million. So, if the jobs come back at the average level of current U.S. productivity four million jobs. If they come back at twice the average level of current U.S. productivity, then two million jobs. But there's there's absolutely no way to get anywhere near the 750,000 jobs that that have been inaccurately portrayed or calculated by a few people in the field.
0: Okay, so the new wrinkle that comes up now as we talk about the increasing technological sophistication of factories in America. And as you say, the need, for uh, maybe it will pay more because these people will be more highly skilled. And yet now we're hearing about a skills gap, that we don't have enough people in this country to fill those higher level, higher knowledge, higher trained jobs. Is that a problem? And if so, what can we do in order to alleviate it?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a severe problem. Again, there's a, f- a few economists that claim It can't be a severe problem because the wage rates haven't gone up dramatically, and and therefore there can't be a shortage. But I give 50 to 100 presentations a year around the country. And if I don't say, here's what we're going to do about skilled workforce, they raise their hands and they say, you can't bring the work back because there aren't enough people here today to make what we're making today, much less the number we'll need if, if you increase manufacturing by 20, 30%, especially as the baby boomers retire and you lose all those, that, those years of experience, the people who actually went through an apprenticeship actually had a good vocational training. So it, it is currently a significant problem and it's projected to be a severe problem as, as the baby boomers finish their retirement. Almost all the surveys come up with that same conclusion. Manufacturing Institute, every, everybody who studies it. The best solution is a an apprenticeship system similar to the Germans, the Swiss, and the Austrians, dual track system. Age 16, you go into the apprenticeship and you spend part of your time in school, part of your time uh, working. Uh, you get trained by a master Typically, when they're 20 and they finish the apprenticeship, they're making $50,000 a year, $50,000. So, you know, very good incomes, incomes comparable to what the university graduates will make when the university graduates eventually graduate with their debt, <laughs> and okay. if they and if they happen to have gone into a. A fairly technical field as opposed to music or art or, or something like that. So, apprenticeship is the right solution. It's very hard to get from here to there, and therefore, a lot more emphasis on the high school training programs and on community colleges. Community colleges is probably going to be the biggest solution because where the high school typically cannot aggregate enough students to justify the heavy equipment in machines, et cetera. The community college can because it draws from, say, a county instead of one town.
0: Certainly this country has never really institutionalized the idea of dual tracking of education as, as they have, say, in Germany, uh, where you have a certain, uh, certain group of students who are being tracked specifically toward these types of jobs. And maybe that is a problem. I don't know. It's, it's actually country. the
1: majority. In, in Switzerland, it's 60 to 70 percent of the students. I think it's about the same in Germany. So it's mm-hmm. not the minority. There's always a concern that the bad kids go to vocational school and, yeah. and and the good kids go elsewhere. And people talk about, well, you can have the kids for whom college isn't the right choice. And and, I, and it's clear that to run the machines and robots and automation of today and tomorrow, you need students for whom college was equally a good choice. They they could choose to go to college and get an engineering degree, but instead choose to become a a toolmaker, an automation specialist, a robotics specialist. And then typically, with that four years of of practical experience, at the end of the apprenticeship, go on. you, You probably have an associate degree by that time, and you go back for two years of either management or mechanical engineering or electrical engineering. And now you've got the experience. You've got the apprenticeship under your belt. You've got the degree And now you're a formidable resource in the uh, human resources market.
0: Real quickly, I do want to cover – obviously, we could have a whole other discussion about the politics of this. But the current administration, you you said that it has created a momentum – in this direction, and indeed, President Trump ran on the platform primarily of bringing back American jobs. That was that was the whole deal, and yet we haven't seen much progress in that area. We've seen the proposal of a border adjustment tax, which could have the opposite impact. We've seen punitive tariffs that actually end up having an impact on downstream employment and in, in, in domestic manufacturing to the point where we see lost jobs as a result of moves like that. So, where are we politically in terms of moving toward a true reshoring environment based on this? administration's policies and what might come of them. We
1: measure the announcements of reshoring and, and FDI, foreign direct investment jobs, each month. And the good news is that the rate had been going along at about the historical rate, and in November it doubled, and it has stayed at that doubled rate. So, And, and we only count the real jobs, the ones that are going into real factories and real places with real products, not the nebulous, we're going to bring 50,000 jobs back here sometime, maybe jobs. So clearly... Something changed when Trump got elected, but for for that momentum to continue, he has to implement real changes, the changes that he talked about largely. And we've put together a policy to uh, program, we call it the Competitiveness Toolkit, from which he could pick the changes that would have the most impact and bring back the most jobs the quickest. And for us, skilled workforce is always right at the top we 've already talked that one down. The other things that we 're in favor of is obviously the lower corporate tax rate big decision on where companies place their facilities, less regulations uh, getting health care costs down not not the charge to the person individually but the overall cost of health care in the u s down from say 17% of GDP to, say, 11 by tort reform, getting drug prices down, etc., other things that can be done. I disagree with you on the border adjustment tax and the tariffs. I believe that the border adjustment tax, which acts more or less like a value-added tax, has been very helpful to other countries in terms of applying that tax to imports and giving your credit to exports. And therefore, uh, either a VAT or a VAT would clearly bring manufacturing into the U.S., We've had numerous companies say that they've come here because they think something's going to happen, either a border tax or tariffs. Uh, had companies changed their plans that we're going to build in Mexico, and now they've decided to build here instead because of that. So we think that those changes are, are, we have them on our toolkit. It's what can get passed and what the administration believes will have the most impact and have the least negative impact. So we would. If I were in charge, I'd be putting the value-added tax in, and I'd start it at 5% and phase it in over five or seven years so U.S. manufacturing had time to adjust, had time to produce the products at competitive costs, and therefore you wouldn't get the the major inflationary impacts in the supply chain disruption that would come from a 15% sudden jolt.
0: So work to be done, but you believe we're going in the right direction do you?
1: Right direction, yeah. N- nobody prior to, to Trump, and I'm not here to push Trump. I'm not a, a spokesman for him. I'm not praising him. But none of the prior presidents put any serious effort into doing anything to eliminate the trade deficit. He is doing that. His his methods, we can all question his tweets and some of the things he says. We can all say, or resolve, or say, I would not have said. But And they hinder us from getting to where we want to go. And so if, if he can get back one message, get back to bringing jobs back. I believe that uh, we have much more potential to make progress on trade and jobs than any other political scenario that was imaginable.
0: Well, uh, we will look to see the progress of ROMJ as well as the reshoring initiative, and we'll link uh, in the show notes to your competitiveness toolkit. But in the meantime, Harry Moser, I want to thank you so much for checking back in with us on the progress of reshoring and giving us a kind of a picture of where that's going. Thanks so much for being with us again. Bob,
1: it's a pleasure. I'm here anytime you want. It's a great opportunity to reach your audience, and they are important to us, and we're happy to be here.
0: That was my conversation with Harry Moser of the Reshoring Initiative, talking about what it will take to bring back manufacturing jobs to the U.S. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast. for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain.